Hello and good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And I'm very happy to be with you this morning to talk once again about Epic Games and their free Fortnite crusade against Apple and Google. Now, in this space, prior to now, we've primarily talked about Epic's case against Apple because that was conducted on an expedited basis. And you can see most of our commentary on that within the antitrust epic playlist on this channel. But because that expedited basis resulted in a judge heard trial, and because there was a lot of law to get through to discuss that Apple case, really didn't talk about the Google case that much. It also happened to get underway while I was not in a great medical state of mind. Uh, but as of right now, Epic's got its first big win because a jury hearing their trial against Google determined that Google was a violative illegal monopolist, and we'll talk about all of what that means as part of this discussion. Now, I know a number of you in the tech scene thought when we first started talking about this whole issue that Apple would have the harder case than Google because Apple is a walled garden. It controls its own ecosystem, and it very tightly controls that ecosystem. And one of the things that I had said early on was that I actually thought Google might have the harder case, even though they allow things to be sideloaded onto their devices because they don't control that whole hardware manufacturing process. They have to control access to those phones that they don't manufacture through contracts and things that look a little bit more like naked restraints of trade that the law is a little bit more used to handling as illegal under the Sherman Antitrust Act. So we'll talk about why that happened as part of all of this, but I wanted to frame that out at the front end because I think it's an important discussion point that Google did in fact lose, that Apple won. And while some people that we're gonna see comment on this believe that means a lot of negative things for Apple, I'm not as sure that that is in fact the case. Before we get started though, I do wanna mention that this channel is supported by viewers and listeners. I'm happy to say again, like you, because we've got the podcasts up and running again. If you're interested in supporting this channel, please do check out the links in the description of this video, either through player, Patreon, memberships, super chats, buying things from the store, hitting the upvote, the downvote, commenting, whatever else you'd like to do, every little bit helps. Telling folks that we're having these kinds of conversations, all of it helps. Now, I do want to also mention, and you might see this note in the chat at some point during this video, that because this is a virtual legality and because there are a lot of legal details that I have to get through that I want to explain to everyone, do Wait to hold your questions or comments directly for me until the end of the video. I'll put a card that looks like this up at the end. You can absolutely talk amongst yourselves. I love that. That's what the chat and community is all about. But if you're looking to direct something at me, super chats, I can see. Questions marked as questions at Hogue Law, I can see. But do wait for those until we get to the end because I have a lot to talk about today. And that all starts with this Verge article. We're going to be using the Verge as our primary source material here because I did not follow the court case every day and because honestly i think their reporting is very good on this so let's take a look at what they said about the jury verdict epic win see it's the obvious pun right jury decides google has illegal monopoly in app store fight now note the word illegal here as we've talked about in this space a monopoly in and of itself control of a market in the united states and in most jurisdictions around the world is not illegal because we want companies to succeed on quality and price right if somebody gets a 95 percent share of the market because their product is the best and they offer it for the least price to their consumers, that's not a bad thing. We don't hate that. We don't want to make that illegal. And some people have come into my DMs or asked me questions about things like Steam 
in the PC ecosystem having trouble because of this jury verdict? And I would answer that, no, not in of itself. Steam, for the most part, is thought of as having the most success in the PC software distribution market because it is high quality, because people like the services that it offers as opposed to other services. So that in and of itself is not illegal. If you later found out that Valve was signing contracts that were restraining competition to Steam and other things that Google is accused of and has been found, I think, impliedly to have done here by this jury, then you can start talking about illegal monopoly behavior. But as it stands right now, just having a great product, getting out there and having a lot of folks like buying your product doesn't make you illegal in the eyes of American law. So let's take a look at this illegal monopoly in App Store fight. Three years after Fortnite maker Epic Games sued Apple and Google for allegedly running illegal App Store monopolies, Epic has a win. The jury in Epic v. Google has just delivered its verdict, and it found that Google turned its Google Play App Store and Google Play billing service into an illegal monopoly. Now, note the distinction here, the App Store being how you get apps from the Google Play Android ecosystem and the billing service being how developers are charged for the things that you buy within their ecosystem. And one thing that we saw in the Apple case was that the judge was not having it, that these two were distinct markets, that they were separate from the phone market enough and that they were separate from each other enough to get you to some of the illegal things that Epic claimed about them. Now, Apple had the advantage in that case of controlling its whole ecosystem, of controlling exactly what its app store did, what its billing did within that app store, and didn't have to sign contracts with third parties to make sure that these were the only places that you could get apps because it manufactures its own hardware. And a unilateral actor is always going to have a stronger case in an antitrust setting, even if you can ultimately find them to be violative of antitrust laws, because you have to prove that they were doing things on their own to monopolize an industry or a market without other parties. And once you bring in those other parties, it becomes an easier case to make. After just a few hours of deliberation, which I think is worth note, right? So this was a month long case, maybe a little more than a month, maybe five weeks. So it, was, it only took them a, a few hours of deliberation to decide something as complicated as an antitrust verdict. So they really, really thought that Google had done wrong here. I think it's easy enough to say. The jury unanimously answered yes to every question put before them, that Google has monopoly power in Android app distribution markets and in-app billing services markets, so they found those markets existed, that Google did anti-competitive things in those markets, and that Epic was injured by that behavior. They decided Google has an illegal tie between its Google Play App Store and its Google Play billing payment services too, and that its distribution agreement, Project Hug deals with game developers and deals with OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, were all anti-competitive. So we'll talk about all of those things a little bit more in detail in just a minute. It's a historic victory, says The Verge, particularly because Epic mostly lost its fight against Apple two years ago when Judge Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers decided that fight had nothing to do with apps. Now, this is a little bit reductive, and I don't mind. I said I, I, I like the reporting here from The Verge. They, of course, editorialize a little bit because reporters are human beings, too. It wasn't that Judge Rogers found that apps had nothing to do with anything. It's that she found that the market for phones was sufficient enough to control for competition within what was otherwise a clearly monopolized market by Apple, right? When you define the market as access to Apple apps, Apple obviously has a monopoly on that. Just like, as we've said in this space, I have a monopoly on the distribution of virtual legality episodes. They don't get made if I don't do them. I have a monopoly on that. That isn't terribly useful for our understanding of the law because everybody, if you make the market small enough, 
has monopoly on whatever it is that they make. Google has the problem of having to control those other parties at the same time, which I think is what wound up getting them into trouble here. But Epic v. Google turned out to be a very different case. It hinged on secret revenue sharing deals between Google, smartphone makers, and big game developers, ones that Google execs internally believed were designed to keep rival app stores down. So what part of the plot here is that Google has a quote unquote open ecosystem and allows people to sideload things on their phones. And by being that kind of semi-open ecosystem where Google tries to control for that outside of just prohibiting it and controlling its own manufacturer, they get into more trouble in the law than that full walled garden of Apple did. Mind you, we don't know what Epic has quite won yet. That's up to Judge James Donato who will decide what the appropriate remedies might be. So part of this reporting is a little bit early because Epic never sued for monetary damages, it didn't ask for cash. It wants the court to tell Google that every app developer has total freedom to introduce its own app stores and its own billing systems on Android. And that's a equitable request of the court. We've talked about it in this space before, but when you ask the court to force a party to do something, the court is going to be more reluctant to do that. So this is a harder ask and we don't know what the judge is ultimately going to decide is an appropriate remedy for what the jury found here. <clears throat> Both parties will meet with Judge Donato in the second week of January to discuss their potential remedies. Judge Donato has already stated that he will not grant Epic's additional request for an anti-circumvention provision just to be sure Google can't reintroduce the same problems through some alternative creative solution, as Epic lead attorney Gary Bornstein put it on November 28th. We don't do break the law injunctions. If you have a problem, you can come back, Judge Donato said. He also said he did not intend to decide what percentage fee Google should charge for its products. Although Epic didn't sue for damages, Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney suggested Epic could stand to make billions of dollars if it doesn't have to pay Google's fee. Here's the completed verdict form. We'll take a look at this in just a second. But that's the basics here, is that the jury, not a judge, found that there was a problem with the way Google behaved. We'll look at this jury form right now. And we don't know exactly what that means for Epic in the long run, but we'll talk about what the jury found, what the jury instructions were to talk through the legal issues a little bit and what they were looking at in terms of facts as reported on by The Verge, because I think it's all very interesting put together. And you can of course make your own determinations as to whether or not this is right or wrong or whether the jury got it correct. So question number one was monopolization. Did Epic prove by preponderance of the evidence and in accordance with instructions given to you, which we'll look at, the existence of a relevant antitrust market. And you've heard me say in this space, this is where I would have focused all my arguments basically as either Apple or Google, which is to say that the app markets as described are not relevant antitrust markets. They aren't lacking in substitutes across both the phone ecosystems and even within the Google ecosystem. And I don't know that Google really focused on that question as much as I would have proposed that they do. Now I'm not perfect, I'm not a, a perfect lawyer or anything, and Google is, is, has its own stratagems to pursue. But obviously when you get to yes here, you've already got a problem. If you answered yes to question one, please specify each relevant product market and associated geographic market that Epic proved. And this is a little bit unusual that you actually have the jury write these in. This must've been a solution from a fight over the jury instructions and how this should proceed to the jury. But they found an app distribution market in Android and Android in-app billing services as separate markets. So you already know that Google's gonna lose here in the geographic market of worldwide excluding China, which is exactly what Epic had proposed. Did Epic prove by preponderance of the evidence and in accordance with the instructions given to you that Google willfully acquired or maintained monopoly power by engaging in anti-competitive conduct 
in any market that you specified in response to question two? Yes. Question number four, if you answered yes, please specify each relevant product market and associated geographic market for your answer. And again, we see that answer. If you answered yes to question three, did Epic prove by preponderance of the evidence and in accordance with that it was injured as a result of Google's violation of the antitrust laws? Yes. So Google loses. Did Epic prove by preponderance of the evidence and in accordance with the instructions given to you that Google entered into one or more agreements that unreasonably restrained trade in a relevant antitrust market? And this is Sherman Antitrust Act Section 1 and California state law. That's unfair competition. Yes. Which of these agreements did you find to be unreasonable restraints of trade in accordance with the instructions given to you? The developer agreements themselves, the agreements with Google's alleged competitors or potential competitors under Project Hug or its Games Velocity program. That's the same thing. We'll see that in a second. Agreements with original equipment manufacturers that sell mobile devices, all are in violation of restraint of trade. And this is this is interesting because the DEA is not in and of itself, obviously, a restraint of trade. It controls what developers within the Android Play ecosystem are allowed to do. But this is clearly a jury that believes Google is doing wrong and is saying yes to everything that is afforded to them, which is there's nothing wrong with that. That's how juries often do these things. But it's worth noting that even the ones that are a little bit less likely to be violative of the law, the jury found to be a problem. And they continue to assert that there is an app distribution market separate uh, from overall digital distribution markets and that there is an Android in-app billing services market that's distinct from the app distribution market. If you answered yes to question six, did Epic prove by preponderance of the evidence and in accordance with the instructions given to you that it was injured as a result of Google's violations? Yes. And they continue on this manner. And we got more yeses for California law. And the jury finds in its entirety that Google loses and Epic wins. And of course, this will be appealed after remedies are decided upon. But as we talked about with respect to the Apple case, appeals are for losers. The, the slant of an appeals court is always going to be towards what the lower court found. And especially in a jury case, that's even more likely to be the, the, the case. Although with technical questions like this, you might find a court willing to get into the weeds a little bit, uh, but you don't have a lot of second guessing of the thoughts of the jury. And as you can see in these jury forms, you don't get the same thing that you get from a judge. You don't get reasoning. You don't get an explanation as to why these things are all yeses. So we all have to kind of interpret from 30,000 feet exactly what the jury intended here. And all we can really take is that the jury definitely thinks that Google is wrong and Epic is right as per these particular questions. Uh, and of course, we can expect some epic preening, and they do. Epic v. Google trial verdict, a win for all developers. They always like their self-righteousness in their press releases, but honestly, this is a big win for them, so I don't blame them for this. Today's verdict is a win for all developers and consumers around the world. We'll see on that. It proves that Google's app store practices are illegal, and they abuse the, their monopoly to extract exorbitant fees, stifle competition, and reduce innovation. Over the course of the trial, we saw evidence that Google was willing to pay billions of dollars to stifle alternative app stores by paying developers to abandon their own store efforts and direct distribution plans and offering highly lucrative agreements with device manufacturers in exchange for excluding competing app stores. These deals were meant to cement Google's dominance as the only app store in town, and it worked. More than 95% of apps are distributed through the Play Store on Android. Now, this is, of course, a narrative that Epic is telling, and we'll talk about what Google proved or didn't prove in court in just a minute. But there is, of course, an alternative narrative that Google provides the best, most secure environment to buy things or the most trustworthy or however you want to frame it that gets you to that 95%, that higher quality, lower price. And Epic doesn't believe it. And the jury didn't believe it. And we'll talk about why. 
But this is the narrative that Epic is going with, and they have every right to do so. As the winners of this court case, Google imposes a 30% tax on developers, and they use the word tax, simply because they've prevented any viable competitors from emerging to offer better deals. And Google executives acknowledged in court that their offer of a 26% rate on third-party payment options is a fake choice for developers. This is, of course, what we know. From the CEO down, Google employees willfully redirected sensitive conversations to chat, knowing that their contents would be deleted forever. We'll talk about that because I think that's a big part of why Google lost this case. The evidence presented in this case demonstrates the urgent need for legislation and regulations that address Apple and Google's strangleholds over smartphones, including with promising legislation in progress right now with the Digital Markets Competition and Consumer Bill in the UK and the Digital Markets Act in the EU. Yeah, there's a lot of legislation going on right here. And I think this paragraph is actually probably the most important of the Epic press release. They don't have a perfect answer to what they want to get from the Google ecosystem, even with the remedies that a judge might afford. They didn't certainly with Apple. But if you're looking for legislatures to have a hook to hang their hat on, as it were, then jury findings like this are helpful to politicians to say, yes, Google is a bad actor. Google's a giant multinational tech conglomerate. We can put something in place to, to punish them. We can get laws in place to make sure that they can't do this anymore. And Epic undoubtedly won in the court of politics, even if they don't ultimately get the remedy that they want out of this court case. And we don't know what that will be. Thank you to the jury for their historic decision. The 1 million game developers who couldn't be here, thank you. And I only have a minor problem with assuming that everybody in the in the world is on your side on these things. We don't actually know what the new world order will bring here. And it's possible that bifurcating and breaking up these app stores and the way the phones work winds up in less overall money to the developer ecosystem, winds up in people being less inclined to purchase things like video games or microtransactions. We don't know. Neither Epic, nor Apple, nor Google knows what the new world looks like if they're not allowed to run their businesses and operate their business model in this fashion. And so I understand Epic believes this is a good thing. That's why they spent all this money pursuing these legal recourses. But we don't actually know because we can't predict the future. Now, I did want to read you those jury instructions because I think they're important. And I think jury instructions are a great place to really think about how the laws that we discuss here in virtual legality are applied by both the judge in a judge heard case like Apple or by the jury in a jury heard case like here in Google. And it really breaks things down in a way that I think is useful. So let's take a look at what facts were stipulated by the parties here first. The Google Play Store is an app store owned by Google that distributes apps on devices running the Android OS operating system. To distribute an app on the Google Play Store, app developers must first enter into Google's developer distribution agreement, referred to as the DDA. The predecessor to the Play Store was called the Android Market. Google acquired the Android mobile operating system in 2005. Google launched the Android Market in October 2008. Google launched its in-app billing service in 2011. Note the separation here between the Android distribution market and the in-app billing service. I think one of the problems Google has on a fact basis is that when you're looking at these two products as described by the jury and certainly as requested as to be described by Epic, when you launch them at separate times, when you have different contracts and different rights that go to different parties to use the billing service or not, it starts to look like they are in fact separate products. And Apple had a little bit stronger argument that app distribution and billing were essentially one and the same, that were functions of a sing singular platform product than Google has here. So a couple of fact-based problems that Google had to deal with, as well as some of the things we'll see that came out in court. Google's Android market app store was rebranded as the Google Play Store in March, 2012. 
Timothy Sweeney is Epic Games Inc.'s controlling shareholder, CEO, and board chairman. In April 2020, Epic made the decision to make Fortnite available for download through the Play Store. Epic executed Google's DDA. They signed up as a developer within the Play Store. Epic incorporated its own payment solution into Fortnite on Google Play as an alternative to the Google Play billing, which violated the terms of the DDA. Epic did not pay Google $398,931.23 in fees that Google would have received if transactions processed using Epic's payment solution were instead processed through Google Play billing. And on August 13th, 2020, everybody remember 2020? Back in the day, it's been a few years since this all started, but here we are, Epic filed its complaint against Google. So one thing we know just from this stipulation of facts is that Epic got $398,931 that would have gone to Google had it gone through the Google billing system. And that Epic has said it doesn't owe because Google's contracts are illegal. We go back and we see that the jury said that the DDA itself is an illegal restraint of trade. And Epic's primary argument here is we don't owe money for illegal contracts, but we also don't like in the law, self-help. We don't like you just breaching and saying, we're gonna hold this money and then we don't owe it to you. So it's unclear whether the judge will make them pay $398,000 or not. We don't know. Then we get to instruction number 13, which is one of the places where I think Google really lost the jury if it hadn't already. You have seen evidence that Google chat communications were deleted with the intent to prevent their use in litigation. You may infer that the deleted chat messages contained evidence that would have been unfavorable to Google in this case. So this is a rare jury instruction, but this says, hey, look, Epic managed to make the case, managed to prove that Google deliberately used temporary chat communications that it knew would be deleted in the face of litigation to hide information from this court. So you're allowed to assume that everything that we didn't get to see, because those chats don't exist anymore, were things that were bad that Google said. You can assume the CEO said, oh yeah, we really want to screw over those Epic guys and we're really antitrust villains. We're monopolists and we hate everyone. You can assume these things because of what they did to hide evidence from this court. And that's always going to be bad, right? A jury's going to look at that and say, okay, these are bad actors. We can infer these things. And that's one of the reasons why I think this case goes the way it does. We got burdens of proof and we got antitrust laws. So let's talk about the laws here. <clears throat> the purpose of the Sherman Act is to preserve free and unfettered competition in the marketplace. The Sherman Act rests on the central premise that competition produces the best allocation of our economic resources, the lowest prices, the highest quality, and the greatest material progress. That's the thesis on which that law was passed, was that competition makes us all better off. As with respect to Section 2 of the Sherman Act, monopolization, Epic brings two types of antitrust claims, which I will now explain. First, the antitrust laws prohibit companies from willfully acquiring or maintaining monopolies in relevant markets through anti-competitive conduct. Second, the antitrust laws prohibit contracts or agreements that unre unreasonably restrain competition. I will first explain Epic's monopolization claims under Section 2 of the Federal Sherman Antitrust Act. Epic alleges that it was injured by Google's unlawful monopolization of two alleged markets. Epic alleges that those markets are, one, an Android app distribution market, and two, a market for Android in-app billing services for digital goods and service transactions. To prevail on a claim that Google has monopolized an alleged relevant market, Epic must prove each of the following elements by preponderance of the evidence for that market. And that burden of proof is essentially 50% plus one, just more evidence than not that the alleged relevant market is a valid antitrust market, that Google possesses monopoly power in the alleged relevant market, 
that Google, that Google acquired or maintained its monopoly power in the alleged relevant market by engaging in anti-competitive conduct, and that Epic was injured in its business or property because of Google's anti-competitive conduct. If you find that Epic has failed to prove any of these elements, then you must find for Google and against Epic on the claim for unlawfully monopolizing that market. If you find that Epic has proven each of these elements by preponderance of the evidence for either market, then you must find for Epic and against Google on the claim for unlawfully monopolizing that market. To prove its monopolization claims, Epic must prove that Google has monopoly power in a relevant antitrust market. Monopoly power is the power to control prices, restrict output, or exclude competition in a relevant antitrust market. More precisely, a firm is a monopolist if it can profitably raise or maintain prices substantially above or reduce or maintain quality substantially below the competitive level for a significant period of time. However, possession of monopoly power in and of itself is not unlawful. The sentence obviously is important. We've talked about that in this space extensively. I will provide further instructions about how you may determine whether Epic has met its burden of proving monopoly power in a relevant market. We're not going to go over all of these, but I do want to talk about things like relevant product market because I do think this is one of the places where the case was lost. In this case, Epic contends that there are two different relevant product markets, an Android app distribution market and a market for Android in-app billing services for digital goods and services transactions. You should consider whether Epic has proven by a preponderance of the evidence either or both of the markets it has alleged. In determining the relevant market, the area of effective competition must be determined by reference to a product market and a geographic market. In determining the product market, the basic idea is that the products within it are interchangeable as a practical matter from the buyer's point of view. This does not mean two products must be identical to be in the same relevant market. It means that they must be, as a matter of practical fact and the actual behavior of consumers, substantially or reasonably interchangeable to fill the same consumer needs or purposes. So you see, by the time we get to this instruction and you're looking at whether or not Google has a monopoly in an Android in-app billing services market, you can see that the answer is almost automatically going to be yes because the primary question was, are we talking about Android in-app billing services or are we talking about all digital in-app billing services? And they lost at the court level for getting an instruction slash a judge ruling that this really should be looked at as Android versus Apple and across iOSs, across things like Android and iOS. And they didn't win that. So by the time you're looking at this market, even if you're sitting on the jury and you think Google's the greatest company on earth, you're probably going to find that there isn't a lot of substitutability in Android in-app billing services or Android app distribution, that Google does in fact control those two things. The parties contend that one or more markets alleged in this case are markets for two-sided platforms. In a two-sided platform market, a platform offers products or services to two different groups who both depend on the platform to intermediate between them. For example, an app store connects app developers who wish to sell their apps and the consumers that wish to buy those apps. In this example, app developers may be one side of the market, and consumers may be the other side of the market, and each are receiving services from the app store. In order to define a relevant market involving a two-sided platform, you must take into account consumers on both sides of the market. In this case, both users and developers. Then you have the relevant geographic market, which I don't really think was contested. It's worldwide, but not in China. Existence of monopoly power, you can do it through direct proof or indirect proof. Direct proof is raising or maintaining prices above competitive levels and the power to exclude competition. Indirect proof is things like a huge market share or market share trends that show Google as a, for instance, going up in market share in one of these markets. Barriers to entry to joining the market, which of course are contractual in this case, and again, self-evident once you set the markets as Android access. Entry and exit by other companies, number and size of competitors, 
And conclusion, if you find that Google has monopoly power in a relevant market, then you must consider the remaining elements of Epic's claim. Monopolization, willful acquisition or maintenance of monopoly power through anti-competitive acts. To prove their monopolization claim, Epic must prove that Google, Google willfully acquired or maintained monopoly power through anti-competitive acts or practices. Anti-competitive acts are acts other than competition on the merits that have the effect of preventing or excluding competition or frustrating the efforts of other companies to compete for customers within that relevant market. Harm to competition is to be distinguished from harm to a single competitor or group of competitors, which does not necessarily constitute harm to the overall concept of competition. Some examples of harm to competition include increased prices, decreased production levels, and reduced quality. In evaluating alleged harm in a market that you have found to be two-sided, you must consider whether there is harm to the two-sided market as a whole. Mere possession of monopoly power, if lawfully acquired, does not violate the antitrust laws. The acquisition or maintenance of monopoly power by supplying better products or services, possessing superior business skills, or because of luck, is not unlawful. A monopolist may create, compete aggressively without violating the antitrust laws, and a monopolist may charge monopoly prices without violating the antitrust laws. A monopolist's conduct only becomes unlawful where it involves anti-competitive acts. The difference between anti-competitive conduct and conduct that has a legitimate business purpose can be difficult to determine. Good luck, jury. This is because all companies have a desire to increase their profits and increase their market share. These goals are an essential part of a competitive marketplace, and the antitrust laws do not make these goals or the achievement of these goals unlawful as long as a company does not use anti-competitive means to achieve those goals. In determining whether Google's conduct was anti-competitive or whether it was legitimate business conduct, you should determine whether the conduct is consistent with competition on the merits, whether the conduct provides benefits to consumers, and whether the conduct would make business sense apart from any effect it has on excluding competition or harming competitors. In evaluating alleged benefits in a market that you have found to be two-sided, you must consider whether there are benefits to this two-sided market on the whole. The acts or practices that result in the acquisition or maintenance of monopoly power must represent something more than the conduct of business that is part of a normal competitive process or commercial success. So you can see one of the reasons why a lot of corporations like judges to hear these issues is because this is very technical in nature. This is hard for any kind of jury of peers to determine. And one of the things that happens is you get a lot of emotionality here. You had Epic believing they were the underdog that could show Google was a bad actor. Obviously, they succeeded in that. But one of the reasons why very often contracts between commercial entities have a provision in them that say we waive the right to a jury trial is because juries have a lot of difficulty with the more technical aspects of economics and business operation on the whole. They must represent conduct that has made it very difficult or impossible for competitors to compete and that was taken for no legitimate business reason. You may not find that a company willfully acquired or maintained monopoly power through anti-competitive means if it has acquired or maintained that power solely through the exercise of superior foresight and skill or because of natural advantages such as unique geographic access to raw materials or markets, or because of economic or technological efficiency, including efficiency resulting from scientific research or by obtaining a lawful patent or patents, or because changes in cost or consumer preference have driven out all but one supplier. In summary, you must determine whether Epic has proven that Google's conduct has caused substantial harm to competition in a relevant market. If Epic has done so, you must then determine whether Google has justified its conduct by proving that its conduct was reasonably necessary to achieve competitive benefits for consumers in that relevant market. So here you see them describing the rule of reason. We've talked about that with respect to Apple and other cases in virtual legality, but that's essentially, okay, you have to show that this was deliberately anti-competitive. Then the company that did the anti-competitive act gets to say, but it actually had pro-competitive justifications such as security as Apple argued, or just consistency within its own ecosystem. And after you do that, you can balance them against each other. If Epic has proven that Google could have readily achieved the same benefits using reasonably available alternative means, 
that would have created substantially less harm to competition, then those benefits cannot justify Google's conduct. In other words, if you find that Google has proven a pro-competitive rationale, then you must determine if Epic has met its burden to prove the existence of a substantially less restrictive alternative to achieve Google's pro-competitive rationale. To qualify as substantially less restrictive, an alternative means must be virtually as effective in serving the defendant's pro-competitive purpose without significantly increased costs. It's one of the reasons why you saw in the Apple case, the judge talk about the fact that where Epic said they could have run their business model a different way or they could have performed security services a different way, that there was no proof that they would be as effective was a death blow to Epic's case. You must then balance any competitive harms you found against any competitive benefits you found. In doing so, you must consider any harms and benefits on both sides of the market for any market you have found to be two-sided. If the harms to competition resulting from Google's conduct substantially outweigh the competitive benefits, then you must find that Google willfully acquired or maintained monopoly power through anti-competitive acts. Uh, monopolization, you don't have a duty to deal with another party. Uh, different evidence, conduct, rule of reason on the Section 1 claim. So this is a description of the rule of reason we just talked about with respect to restraints of trade. Restraints challenged here are the agreements that Google requires mobile app developers to enter as a condition of distributing apps on Google Play, the DDA. Alleged agreements with Google's alleged competitors or potential competitors like Activision and Riot under Google's Games Velocity program or Project Hug, that's the same thing. And agreements with original equipment manufacturers that sell mobile devices. So we get the same rule of reason kind of description. And this is linked in the description under jury instructions. If anybody's interested in seeing more of this language, I don't wanna just read this all out. But on the next one that I wanted to talk about is tying. Epic also claims that Google engaged in an unlawful tying arrangement. A tying arrangement is one in which the seller will sell one product or service only on the condition that the buyer also purchase a separate product or service from the seller, or at least agrees not to purchase the tied product or service from any other. In this case, Epic claims that Google's app distribution product, the Google Play Store is the tying product, and its in-app billing service, Google Play Billing, is the tied product. Not all tying arrangements are unlawful. The essential characteristic of an invalid tying arrangement is a seller's exploitation of its market power over the tying product, app distribution, to force a buyer to purchase the tied product, in-app billing. Then the buyer might have preferred to purchase elsewhere. I will now instruct you to re regarding how to determine whether if there was a tying arrangement, that alleged tying arrangement is unlawful. There's more instructions there. And of course, they did find tying here. Got rule of reason stuff. They got injury and damages to Epic. And I think that's most of what I wanted to talk about with respect to what the jury was charged with. We know that they found that all these things existed, that Google loses, that Epic wins. Let's take a look at some more reporting as to what the, the jury was actually engaged with as evidence in this trial, because I think that's interesting as well. So here is a Verge reporter who I think does a good job here summarizing their time in the first two weeks of this trial and summarizing it in points like Epic could win. I thought Epic was tilting at a windmill by challenging Google after losing so thoroughly to Apple. If Epic couldn't prove Apple's walled garden is an illegal monopoly, how could it beat the company that made Android an open source project from the start? But after just over a fortnight's worth of cumulative evidence, loosely speaking, the answer has become clear. Google still uses a tangled web of contracts and deals to make partners fall in line. Incentivizing phone makers and the biggest app developers to share rather than compete for an ever-growing pile of app store cash. Mind you, it would still be a high bar to clear. A jury would have to decide not only that Google has an illegal monopoly on Android app distribution or in-app billing services on Android devices, but also that the harms outweighed any pro-competitive benefits. So let's start with something easier. Was Google scared for its profits? Google was running scared of Epic specifically. Google internally saw Epic Games as a contagion, quote unquote 
that would infect Android's biggest game and app developers, turning them into agitators that would demand lower fees and ultimately defect from the Play Store. Google feared as many as 100% of top game developers would follow Fortnite's lead by launching outside of Google Play, denying Google a 30% cut of revenue, and that fear doesn't seem to have been misplaced. Not only were other agitators in direct contact with Epic, but many either launched or were internally planning to launch a competing game store on Android before Google approached them with a deal. Google called this the contagion effect and forecast it might lose $2 billion in revenue by the end of 2022, perhaps even $3.6 billion. The company estimated it would miss out on $250 million from Fortnite alone and $243 million a year if Activision Blizzard King removed its games like Candy Crush from Google Play. And that's a part of this story as well, right? We saw that Microsoft in their ABK deal wants to launch its own app store. And part of that is cracking open places like Google Play and the Apple iOS. And this is a step towards that from Microsoft's side of things. One question that people have asked me in DMs and otherwise is whether or not a jury verdict like this cracks open things like the PlayStation ecosystem or the Microsoft ecosystem on Xbox. And the answer is it's not altogether clear. One of the things that Epic has tried to do in both of its cases with Google and with Apple is say that specific devices that are framed around video games like the Xbox or the PlayStation or the Nintendo Switch are different in complete access than something like a phone, which is a more general access device. Now, will that ultimately hold for future precedent-making court cases? I have my doubts there, but as it stands right now, this jury verdict, which hasn't even been finished as a court case, doesn't open up Apple, doesn't open up the Xbox, doesn't open up the PlayStation yet. But follow that because it could be something that happens in the near future. And so Google formulated a plan. It would save money by spending fewer billions, perhaps 1.78 billion, on play risk mitigation. It came up with multiple strategies it would pursue in parallel, including Project Hug, Project Banyan, and Project Electra. And I think only Project Hug went into effect. We're going to talk about that right now. Project Hug targeted a who's who of mobile game developers, and 20 of them signed. Project Hug was a plan to invest money in game developers that were at risk of contagion, we learned in court. So Google's plan here is to go and offer things to those developers that they think are big enough or risky enough uh, to go and make their own stores outside of Google Play because they think that's a problem for their overall revenue base. Google approached 22 of them in total, including Activision, Anaplex, Bandai Namco, Bethesda, Blizzard, Com2US, EA, King, Mixie, Ninantic, and Seasoft, NetMarble, NetEase, Nexon, Nintendo, Perlibus, the Pokemon company, Riot, Square Enix, Supercell, Tencent, and Ubisoft. At one point, the Google Play BizDev team asked for $575 million through 2022 to make those deals, although its final numbers are far higher. Activision alone was offered over $360 million in a deal that's now apparently worth billions. 20 game developers signed, but not Supercell and not Epic, which got and rejected a special $147 million offer designed to convince the company to launch Fortnite on Google Play. Project Hug was formalized as the Google Games Velocity Program. Now, again, from the more genteel interpretation of a Project Hug, you could look at it from Google's standpoint as competing with Apple, trying to make sure that games are made in the Google Play ecosystem as well as in the Apple iOS so that it can compete in its device uh, framework against Apple and their iPhones. But that is not ultimately what the court held. Epic failed to show Project Hug was a direct block or bribe. In Epic's opening arguments, it promised to show the jury that Google literally pays competitors not to compete, and it seemed like Project Hug would be the way. But over the course of the trial, and remembering that this is just this reporter's interpretation of the evidence, we learned that all but one of Google's bribes weren't direct payments. 
Instead, as you can see in this breakdown, and they link to their own articles, the company generally promises millions upon millions of dollars in support, credits, gift card programs, promotions, and dedicated access to Google staff. And in exchange, it doesn't block a game developer from shipping on a different store as long as it arrives on Google Play the same day and at the same quality. Epic's economic experts suggested that Google's deals are effectively the same as giving out money, but Google's experts suggest it's more like a discount. It's unclear to me exactly what the difference might be from a legal standpoint. Money is what we call fungible in economics. So if you get a discount for something that saves you $147 million, as an example, that's worth $147 million to you because you can use that money on something else that you wouldn't have been able to use it on. So I'm not clear exactly why this would matter that much, but it is worth noting that Google was primarily giving what we might call in-kind payments, things like we have staff, it's not all being used. We can lend them to Riot Games. We can lend them to whomever signs up with this, as long as you promise not to start your own store is really where this comes from. Project Banyan would have made Samsung's Galaxy Store a false choice, but it never happened. The proposed 2019 deal would have seen Google Play and the Galaxy Store side by side on the default home screen on any Samsung, just like today. Only Google would host the games, provide the billing security and updates in the Galaxy Store too. So they would have agreed to host all of the back end of Samsung's Galaxy Store, effectively making it just a second screen for the Google Play Store, but this never went into place. Epic tried to suggest that Google pushed Samsung into nerfing the Galaxy Store anyhow, raising this specter of handshake deals, but Epic never really provided enough evidence of either to be convincing, says this reporter. Again, this is all as interpreted by this reporter, but I think it is useful to discuss. This is what the jury was dealing with. Project Electra would have seen Google purchasing a controlling stake in Epic, but it didn't happen either. Over two days in July 2018, Google cooked up a business justification for purchasing enough of Epic games to sway them on Epic's approach to Android. However, it's not entirely clear whether a couple of Google execs seriously wanted to prop up a monopoly or were just casually brainstorming an opportunity. After all, Epic is pretty successful. The language certainly does seem suspect. For example, investment was the only way people could realistically think of to sway them on Epic's approach to Android. But there were certainly other reasons Google might have been interested in the Fortnite maker as the person who wrote that email suggested in court. Yeah, there's a lot of people investing in Epic for reasons that don't have anything to do with an app store. Either way, I'm guessing Google quickly abandoned the idea when it found out that Epic CEO Tim Sweeney was also the controlling shareholder. Yeah, there was no swaying Tim on this. Google execs clearly wanted to block other app stores. While multiple Google executives testified they only cared whether games made it to Google Play, not rival, rival app stores, internal documents told a different story. So Google, if they're justifying this, to the court and into the court of public opinion as, look, we want to make sure that games make it here so that they can compete with Apple. That's one thing. If you wanna make sure that you're entering into these agreements to prevent other stores from opening on your platform, that's entirely different. And remember, Google doesn't have full control over all these third-party manufacturers that use Android OS. So they have to sign up these contracts that basically agree that you're not gonna open another store. One Google Play exec boasted that she got Riot to halt development on its own app store by promising the company $10 million in marketing. Another exec wrote that one of Google's two objectives with Riot was having Riot choose Play versus launching their own Android store. Despite its own stated goal of launching on as many platforms as possible to maximize its margins and deciding it would be fairly easy, Riot clearly felt Google didn't want that and doing so would jeopardize a deal. Another Google exec suggested that sharing revenue with Samsung would be better at disincentivizing other app stores from being preloaded. So we have Google in their own internal documentation suggesting that a lot of these efforts were done to keep new stores from coming onto the platforms. During the trial, we learned that Google RSA 3.0, those revenue sharing agreements that signed with key Chinese OEMs among others, 
have a premier tier that does in fact keep phone makers from pre-installing alternate app stores without getting a special exemption from Google. Epic was not able to prove that this was a block because we learned that phone makers like OnePlus, the one that they summarize above, are completely free to decide how many of its phones fall into each tier of the agreement. So they're setting their own baseline as to what's even going to fall under these particular categories. I don't know that that again seals the deal. Again, you're, you're painting a picture as Epic that Google is interested in blocking all these other alternatives. And I think Epic was largely successful there as evidenced by the jury verdict. Google's contracts arguably had some pro-competitive benefits. We at The Verge have long decried Android fragmentation and longed for closer to stock Android experiences. Google pointed out that its contracts do things like that, helping Android phones compete with the iPhone. And a Motorola exec highlighted its pure Android strategy as a competitive strength and differentiator from other Android phones. Some people want that more curated experience and that that can be argued as pro-competitive for getting that pro-curation audience into your Android ecosystem. This trial destroyed any notion that Google treats developers fairly and equally. Honestly, I'm not sure that there was ever a notion of this. One of the things we've talked about in this space is that whenever you've got a contract of adhesion, terms and conditions, an end-user license agreement, whatever you want to talk about, if the partner to the company is worth enough to that original company, there are side letter agreements, what they call sweetheart deals in this Verge article all over the place. A secret Google deal lets Spotify completely bypass Android's app store fees. Google offered Netflix a sweetheart deal to pay just 10% on Google Play. Google explains why some developers were able to get away with paying less on Play. I don't know if ensuring fairness was part of my job. I never thought of it that way. We've never been forced by Google to accept Play billing, says Spotify. Spotify can pay 0%, yes, zero, to get all the benefits of Google's Play Store save payments. Not only did Epic show Google cut sweetheart deals with the biggest app and game developers, Google itself revealed that it wanted to keep things unfair to keep profits high. While the fact that Spotify had a deal with Google was public, Google's lawyers fought hard to keep the numbers involved secret because they'd be very, very detrimental for the negotiation we'd be having with other parties. This is one area where I think that they are editorializing a lot in The Verge, but I think it's still useful to the conversation we're having because as a lawyer, I look at this and I say, well, of course you don't want to advertise that you've gone to zero for one of your partners because every partner will ask for that. But as a jury hears these things, I think it's closer to this, this reporter. And I think it's important to note that this is read as very negative for Google and that a lot of people are going to read it that way when corporate lawyer Rick doesn't necessarily see it that way. And I don't see it as really secretive or things like uh, otherwise unusual. I do think it's bad for Google's argument that they took their, their payment cut to zero because it suggests that zero is closer to what the actual competitive price for this access is. On the other hand, what we'll see here is that Google is arguing that Spotify is so important to their ecosystem that they had to go to zero, which suggests to me in the alternative and not reported on by this reporter, that Google does not in fact have full control over the app distribution ecosystem because the people that make the apps themselves are so important that they can knock their the prices down to well below competitive levels. Oh, and that's before we get to the fact that Google didn't force its own YouTube app to use Google Play billing. At times it was encouraging and later forcing other app developers to do so. And again, this is just bad optically, right? If you're gonna wind up in court with this kind of stuff, that's bad. And a lot of businesses will avoid that in the first instance because they know it would look bad in court. The best defenses Google had been able to muster is that Spotify was so important that people wouldn't buy Android phones without it. And that companies like Spotify qualify as partners because they help invest in new hardware platforms. And I do think that this is better than just a best defense Google has to offer. This is competing with Apple. But what we'll see is the court ultimately rejects that this jury or this court has to look at the competition with Apple. 
What Google doesn't say, and I weirdly didn't hear Epic suggest either, is if some companies get sweetheart deals, everyone else effectively has to pay more to compete. Can you imagine trying to compete with Spotify with your new music app while paying Google 11% at the same time Spotify is paying zero? That's bad for the overall ecosystem for developers, but I'm not sure that that actually makes Epic's case. Google's user choice billing is all but a fake choice. This one leaves a bad taste in my mouth too, says the reporter. Spotify is effectively getting a 15% point discount to use its own billing system, but ordinary developers only get four percentage points off. Even though Google knows full well that four percentage points isn't enough of a discount to make that a real choice because you still have to pay your alternative payment processor. Epic found the receipts and even an internal graph showing that Google knows this. A key element of this optionality proposal is that we don't want to give any artificial reasons to incentives to switch off play billing. A Googler wrote. And again, I think it's worth noting that the reporter finds this to be a, a bit of a smoking gun against Google. The lawyer in me reads this and says, yeah, we don't want to give artificial reasons. We don't want to make it artificially better for them to be off. We want to make it as even as possible. So if it's four percentage points, that is the difference between having their own processor and ours. That's about where we want to set the rate from the Google perspective. It's not entirely a false choice, says The Verge. Dating app Bumble seems to have tried user choice billing because it found users prefer one-day subscriptions, which Google Play doesn't offer on its own. So there are reasons to go to a different processor, but that 4% difference, which I think makes sense from a competitive and profit-based standpoint, is seen as a fake choice by this Verge reporter. And I wouldn't hesitate to think that the jury found it the same way. Epic lost the sideloading and security arguments, in my opinion. Epic has re repeatedly tried to suggest it's not true that apps can simply bypass the Google Play Store because of all the friction involved in installing an app downloaded directly from the web. It also won some points when it revealed internal documents showing that Google believed that friction might drastically limit the reach of Fortnite. But that was 2018. In court, Google showed us it takes literally 25 seconds to install the Epic Game Store on a modern Android phone, and Epic was never able to show that Google intentionally designed earlier friction to keep rival app stores down. In fact, Amazon's failure with the Amazon App Store increasingly looks like a cell phone, but I guess it does turn a tiny, for Amazon, profit. While Epic won some points, in my opinion, for pointing out that Google's unknown sources scare screens could and should be less scary and less discriminatory, Google made Epic look like a bit of a hypocrite, too. Google's head of Android security repeatedly made it seem like practical common sense that Google would have a far easier time protecting against threats within its App Store rather than without, and drove home that threats do exist. Google had a hell of a time justifying its up to 30% fee. It's not easy to justify something publicly when your own employees are questioning it internally. Epic showed that time and again, starting in 2008 when Google promised it wouldn't take a percentage at all, while quietly taking 5%, then in 2009 when it decided to pocket the extra 25% it had publicly earmarked for carriers, whenever it could. Things could get ugly once the public finds out. We are now lying. We are now lying to our developers by now, by not making this change public for six months now. And from Google's perspective, we talked about how they look like bad actors when they have the deleted chat logs. This is another instance where they look like bad actors. Even if 30% could be justified, if you've got internal discussions about not telling developers what the price is, those kinds of things, you look like a bad actor. And then a whole lot of other things that maybe are more technically legal or more technically illegal are going to pass by a jury and potentially even a judge in some cases, because you are now the unclean hands. You're the people that are acting badly. You're the mafioso. And we're going to hold all these things against you, regardless of whether or not they technically meet the definitions of illegality. And while Google calculated that the value of Google Play to developers was in discovery, payment processing and mass distribution, that discovery bit is in question. Our value proposition is limited to that of a data pipe, wrote one PlayBiz dev lead. Adding Play Store offers little value for app discovery. Google never wound up meaningfully challenging that in court. 
And perhaps that's because Google felt it was self-evident that if you have this market share in the app store, that that is discovery for purposes of this conversation. I don't really know. Google's profit margins sound unreal. Another reason it's tougher for Google to justify 30%, it appears that Google Play has become exactly the profit center it promised not to be. In the first half of 2020, the company internally bragged that it was one of the most profitable businesses in the world and very close to being a Fortune 100 company all by itself. Epic's expert calculated the Google Play Store grew from 26% operating profit margins to 71% in 2021, generating north of $12 billion in operating profit that year. And again, that's Epic's expert. While Google suggests that doesn't account for the $40 billion in research and development costs, among other things, we saw that Android's costs are seemingly accounted for in its own profit and loss statement. Google did successfully argue it deserves something for play. If not 30% or 15%, how much? That's not exactly a question before the court, but Google did repeatedly and successfully point out that its Google Play service fee is the primary way it gets paid for downloads. While Google does sell ads on Google Play and ads in Google Search, one of Epic's economists conceded Google would get paid nothing to distribute apps across the world if the developer chose an alternative payment processor. Sweeney himself agreed that a payment processor doesn't make it possible to distribute a game to 60 million users, to use Google's words, and that there's nothing wrong with making your revenue off a limited number of customers. That's good to hear because Epic Games is run by Tim Sweeney that does, in fact, sell its products to customers for revenue. And while Epic tried to show that Google's actual cost of payment processing is 6% and developers could get the same by ditching the middleman, Google successfully pointed out that you'd pay more than 6% for the most common microtransactions at Rivals because they often charge a per transaction fee in addition to their cut. Google concedes that it could have figured out a different way to charge for its spending services, but felt this was the simplest. We saw that on the Apple side of things as well. Epic goes in and one of their arguments is that you could have a completely different business model that might advantage Epic and Fortnite that is free to play with microtransactions, but might also cut off a whole host of other business models that could operate. And that's one of the problems I have with Epic's overall case against these companies. But certainly by the time you've got Google signing up to all these contracts, et cetera, you've got a bad actor looking thing. And a jury clearly found that Google was in the wrong. Both Google and Epic planted unfair stories in the press to advance their agendas. We saw the receipts proving that Google decided to single out Epic by embarrassing the company with news stories about a potentially nasty bug in the Fortnite launcher, even though Epic fixed that bug in a single day, and even though Google never publicized the same kind of vulnerability in apps of its own. But Epic's hands aren't clean. The, coalition, the company's coalition for app fairness was actually solely created by Epic to lobby for its desired outcomes. And we learned in court that Spotify, Basecamp, Match, Tile, Blix, Deezer, and others weren't actually founding members, despite what it told the press. And this is a coalition for app fairness, the CAF, that we've discussed at length in virtual legality. So I do think it's worth noting that while it was clear that Epic was behind it, it wasn't clear that Epic started it on its own. Google tried and failed to establish the conditions for an easy victory. Google's core argument didn't land. You cannot separate the quality of a phone from the quality of the apps in its app store, and that means Google and Apple compete against each other, said Google lead attorney Glenn Pomerantz in his opening argument. But Epic showed that Google had an existential question that had nothing to do with Apple, and that again and again and again, Google wasn't thinking about Apple when it was thinking about securing the future of Google Play. The court docs we saw almost always showed it thinking about the potential contagion of rival app stores on Android instead. Google did find a couple of oblique mentions of Apple in the end and spent quite some time explaining all the ways it does compete with the iPhone maker on pricing features and security. Execs insisted that many of Google's actions were pro-competitive because they helped Android phones compete with the iPhone at a time when Google was concerned that Android may be weak. But Judge Donato wasn't buying her arguments that Apple directly participates in the markets we're concerned with. And has said he wasn't willing to apply aftermarket theories that Apple might be a participant because people buy their phones for apps. He said, we hadn't seen any evidence of that. And if that is in fact the case, if Google didn't present any evidence that Google 
and Android's ecosystem competes with Apple and iOS, then that's on them and their lawyers, because I think that's really where this case is ultimately lost. We can talk about bad actors. We can talk about chat logs. We can talk about all the bad things that a jury could find that Google did. But if you don't get that market description of only being within the Android ecosystem, I don't know that you can find the same things against Google that this jury found. If they were instead looking at things like the overall digital transaction market, that's going to be a different conversation in the jury room. And maybe they come out the same way, but I would have a hard time believing that it would be exactly as bad as what was found. That's tough for Google because Tucker's proposed market definition, the facilitation of digital content transactions, is close to the one that helped Apple win several years ago. Instead, the jury will likely decide whether Google has monopoly power within the Android ecosystem, which is almost tautological, almost self-explanatory. Epic will likely pay Google $398,000 even if it wins. And I don't think that's at all clear. This is, again, the Valve reporter looking at this. Epic owes $398,931. We talked about that. Epic didn't substantially challenge that amount either. But of course, if the contract is illegal, if it's void on its face, Epic has a legitimate argument to say that it doesn't owe that money. And we'll see exactly what happens. Epic didn't sue just out of the goodness of Sweeney's heart. We know that. We know that Fortnite is slated to make a lot of money if it doesn't have to pay Google for access. Everything could hinge on the missing chats. And we talked about that as well. So that takes us through what the jury saw, how they arrived at their decisions. I definitely think that there was enough here for the jury to arrive at the decision that they made. I think the, the court was correct in putting it to the jury by the time they got to the end of the trial. But I do have questions both on the strategy and the ultimate judge's determination on what the market definition should be to be put before the jury. And I don't think that's going to be answered anytime soon. Now, I did want to point out that I have been asked for quotes from a couple of outlets. And I think you'll see some go live today. This is one that went live yesterday. This is Games Beat and reporter Jordan Fragan who contacted me. Lawyers, leading voices weigh in on Epic Antitrust win over Google. I'm pretty sure it's only a lawyer. I think it's only me. Uh, but we'll talk about that. The quote I gave was as follows. Despite seeming to many like the tougher case, and a lot of people did think that the Google case would be tougher because of the semi-open nature that Google put forth. It's not surprising to me that Google lost more than Apple did for all its warts. Apple never had, had to contract with a third party to try to exert control over its wholly owned ecosystem. Google did, and I suspect the poor optics of that led directly to the loss meted out by this jury. Still a ways to go to see if Epic wins anything tangible for the fortune it spent, though. And then we get con uh, uh, context from folks like Matthew Stoller, the director of research at the American Economic Liberties Project, who you may have heard talk about the Apple case. He describes this as the beginning of the Google breakup. The consequences will likely be far-reaching. In particular, he highlights the bandwagon effect this ruling could have on pending cases and the implications of the time claim ruling, that is, Google requiring companies using the Play Store to also use its Google Play billing service. Now, <clears throat> I think this goes too far, obviously. You can tell from my quote that I don't think it's the beginning of breaking up Google. I don't think it's likely to have far-reaching consequences as of this moment, uh, but you can see a potential domino effect of lawsuits against folks that have storefronts that also require billing. So things like the PlayStation Network, things like the Xbox or the eShop on Nintendo, as well as Apple, could be reached with these decisions. But it's still a ways out yet to say that. And I'm not sure that that's, in fact, the case. Then you have Michael Pachter, who we've talked about in this space as well. The monopoly is over. This bears on Apple's appeal. They should lose as well. Good for developers and ultimately good for gamers. I disagree with this statement. I don't think it bears on Apple's appeal directly at all. Google operated a different company on a different business model than Apple and its own ecosystem. Nothing that is done here in this Google case should actually impact the appeal of Apple's case, but you never know what's going to happen in front of a judge or court, and so it's possible. I don't think that this actually informs that legal decision, but 
Certainly a court will be interested in either addressing or distinguishing its own case from this one in the future. So I wanted to point those out. This is, again is in the description if you want to read this article more fulsomely. Uh, but thank you very much for being here. And if you do like these conversations, please consider supporting the channel at player or Patreon or through a membership or a super chat. We're about to go into that question and comment period. So if you've got questions or comments, if you've got super chats, if you want to flag me for anything that you want me to talk a little bit more on, please do let me know. I'm happy to do it. Hopefully this was informative and educational. And thank you so much for coming to this virtual legality episode today. If you're on your way out, please do like, maybe subscribe if you're interested, share the fact that we're having these conversations with others. And uh, I appreciate it. And thank you, Nightbot, for highlighting that we are, in fact, in the questions and comments portion of this video. And yes, I, I'm thinking AI algorithms now, but that's just who I am at my core. And we'll talk about that, actually, too. I wanted to mention that. We're in the questions and comments period, so please do flag me. But I wanted to mention that one of the coolest parts of the podcast AI feature that we've talked about with respect to our descriptions and some of the things we're doing to get our episodes up on places like Spotify and the Google Play Store or Google Podcasts as well is that we have a collaboration with Podcast AI. And one of the things they can do is you can go to a specific episode and you can ask to chat with AI Hogue. And you can ask Hogue things like, in respect of the previous video here, Sony versus Bungie, I just said the very open-ended question, what should Sony do? And AI me said, well, if we're talking about Sony's situation with Bungie, it's important to remember that Sony is a massive conglomerate with a lot of moving parts. And dealing with Bungie is just one aspect of their broader corporate strategy. If the reports are true that Bungie may not be meeting certain financial thresholds that were part of the acquisition deal and Sony is contemplating taking more direct control, the decision will likely be based on a mix of strategic and financial considerations. First, Sony would like to evaluate the performance of Bungie's projects, like the Destiny franchise and the rumored Marathon reboot. I wouldn't call it rumored, but hey, it's an AI. And determine if the current trajectory is likely to meet Sony's broader goals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's the prior episode, but you can go, and this is linked in the description, dl.hoglaw.com. And you can go and you can see links to the YouTube video. You'll be able to see links to things like the Spotify playlist, I believe, and the iTunes playlist, if these work. And you can use this chat button to do things like, say, what should Sony do? What should Bungie do, et cetera, and work on it from there. But I think it's very cool if you like talking to chat GPGT, uh, but you wanted somebody that has a little bit more information about these kinds of topics. The Hogue AI bot is there for you. So please do check it out. And we'll leave that on the screen for right this second. Questions and comments are available. All right, let's see if I can pull some of these up. Cooperistic, since I do reject the idea that any of this is good for gamers as a whole. I mean, I, I don't think we'll know. Certainly, I think it's good for Epic if they can get out of that payment. That'll make them more money. But I'm just not sure that this bifurcation will be useful to everyone. I, I know a lot of people like the curation of things like the App Store. I think that will continue to exist. I just think what you'll find at the, at the baseline level is that this semi-open approach of allowing things but then contracting around them is going to be seen as violative of antitrust law. And so one thing that I think might happen is that you wind up with a lot more walled gardens, right? If you hate walled gardens and you hate curation, you might be against this because it looks like Apple is more in the clear than Google and Google tried to be semi-open, but semi-open is definitely not gonna work. It's all open or walled garden and that's potentially a problem. 
Louis Proctor, curious to know what your predicted remedies will be. I think Epic will not get close to everything they want. I don't think the court is going to grant them like breaking open the walls. I think they're going to say that Google deserves some amount of money that they're not going to set. And so you're not going to be able to just avoid every bit of the DDA contract. They might make some tweaks in there, but a court is going to be reluctant to like get in there and redline the contract for these parties. So I think it's going to be much less than Epic might want. I really think the usefulness to them right now is in giving the politicians that hook to hang their hat on. I think that's what they're looking for, both the UK and the EU, and ultimately the US if they can get it, but we'll see. Miguel Ivars, thank you so much for the super chat. Hey, Hogue, love to see you back to full health, near it. You were on point during the ABK merger, thank you. What are the chances of Microsoft's App Store being a success? If they can get in, I think Microsoft is the kind of name that probably will realize some success, but of course they've tried these things, they've tried these initiatives, and they haven't been always successful. Folks like uh, uh, the uh, the Zune or even the, the Bing application is against Google search and whatnot. So we'll have to see, but I think it has a better chance than maybe a tiny company just putting out a store that only has its own products. So I think it's the kind of thing that could crack open these, these storefronts, but we'll have to see in the future. Hello, Darkness, my old friend. And the Gaming Dino says, so if I walk into a consignment shop and tell them I want to purchase the item directly from the original owner instead of them, it will be fine, right? Yeah, and some of that is a problem with like the real world and the digital world, right? And we talk about the law catching up to various things. Certainly things like the anti-circumvention ruling that went against Apple with respect to you being allowed to market that you have sales at other shops is something that wouldn't fly in the brick and mortar world. We've talked about having the right to put a sign up in your Best Buy that says you can buy this from across the street. But the digital world is still being worked through. And I don't think that it's ultimately going to come down to this kind of thing where you say, hey, I just want to buy it directly and we can put all this marketing in. But if it does, you might have a lot of confused customers. And that in and of itself might be a justification for these companies to, to wall up their gardens, right? If you wind up with that big kind of separation, kind of like what you see right now with respect to streaming services, right? For a moment in time, there was only one streaming service, maybe two, and you could go and you could get all the streaming services that you wanted from just a couple of sources. Now it seems like you have to have 17 different subscriptions to get to the same level of content that you used to be able to have. And that may or may not be good for consumers in the long run. I tend to like it because you can more granularly uh, turn on and off these certain switches for content that you like, but it does require a lot more activity on the part of consumers. And a lot of folks are not gonna wanna do that at all. So I do think it's interesting to see where this goes, but you're right to point out that it is not the way the real world would work. Louis asks, can I speak to how console platforms might be impacted by this at all? I think PlayStation and Nintendo are closer to the Apple scenario. Microsoft is another question. Well, I mean, Microsoft is as walled of a garden in the Xbox as those other platforms, right? You can't just go on and put your own stuff on the Xbox ecosystem. But I think all of them, have a concern about this theory of antitrust liability attaching to a digital ecosystem, right? And I think that this extends past video games. We talked about it in virtual reality, but hospital equipment that goes with its own operating system could potentially have certain things that say, well, all right, I got my MRI machine, but I want to install a different bit of OS. Is that something that we have to look at? It's not quite the same as apps, of course, but the problem with legal precedent is that it often kind of develops in spiders and trees that you don't anticipate 100%. So I think all of these hardware manufacturers 
have to be concerned about exactly how American and other worldwide antitrust laws are going to be interpreted in the digital environment. Blazing Flame asks, hey, I'm a bit off topic, but what do you think will happen to Microsoft Activision merger now that the FTC has appealed against the merger? What are the possible outcomes? Are you making a video on it? I'm not making a video on the FTC appeal because I think there's almost no chance that it has any tangible effect on anything right this second. The FTC is appealing the decision primarily to go and have more powers to block deals in the future. It can't unwind the deal just with that kind of appeals process. It would have to engage in a different federal lawsuit. So I think right now, as it stands, Microsoft ABK is a done deal. ABK is being incorporated into the Microsoft infrastructure as we speak. Uh, and the FTC is pursuing a case that is not a high likelihood of success in an effort to establish precedent that it can use in the future to have more success for other deals that might want to try to block or otherwise change. RexYZ, Hoglaw, I'm late to the party, and I don't know if it has been asked, but is the two Hogs are better than one game of the year in 2023 plans? Yes, I haven't talked about the schedule. One thing you'll note is that today is Wednesday and not Tuesday or Friday, but I did put up a community post earlier this week that talked about the fact that I wouldn't be able to do as many videos this week because I have doctor's appointments and other things that I'm working through, including other appearances on other channels. And so one of the things that I've thought about as a kind of backup is that if I can't do two episodes a week and I can only do one, that might often happen on a Wednesday at 9 a.m. as well. With respect to the two hogs are better than one, we're currently planning on doing that next week. But before that, as you might have seen, we do have a holiday special of Lawyers and Dragons coming this Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, so if you like Lawyers and Dragons and you like the group that has played Lawyers and Dragons now for a couple of seasons, we are going to do some more event shows. We can't do a full season because of, among other things, my schedule and uh, problems with being on time all the time. So we are going to do these specials, I think. And if they're popular, we'll do them more than once. But for right now, we have a holiday special coming up. Uh, and that'll be this Saturday. And then Two Hogs Are Better Than One should be next week. But I don't like to commit to those things until they're a little bit closer to being fully concrete. I think it will be next week, but I am intending to do it with my brother. Top 10 games of 2023 next week. So if you're interested in all that stuff, look out for placeholders if and when I get them up on the channel. But Saturday, Lawyers and Dragons. Next week, Two Hogs Are Better Than One and some combination of Hangouts and Headlines and Virtual Legality as well. Thank you so much for asking. Casual Gamer, Hogue, what do you think will happen now with Apple versus Epic? Will they go to court again or will Fortnite be absent from the Apple App Store and Apple have the high ground for the foreseeable future? Well, <clears throat> Apple won their case, right? And Epic is unlikely to switch that around regardless of what Mr. Pactor says. Uh, and so I think what right now what you'll see is Fortnite continues to be off the store. Apple and Epic are obviously at odds with respect to the way they operate their businesses. One thing I've said as part of this entire playlist is that Epic didn't act perhaps as well of a business partner as it should, even if it thought these contracts were illegal, it didn't have to do it in exactly the way that they did. But uh, when we talk about these things from an overall legal perspective, this probably does put at least a crack in the wall of what Epic is trying to break down. And so Apple will need to be aware of it going forward. As it stands right now, I don't think Apple versus Epic changes its stripes at all, but Epic might have different ideas and might even pursue a different lawsuit. We'll see. Louis says, forcing Xbox to open could hurt the Xbox business model, but Microsoft would be happy by that if they could just put Game Pass on PS5, et cetera. Yes, I see what you're saying, yeah. Xbox is kind of built around the software as a service model right now, and so they are not as protective of their walled garden 
as the Sony's and Nintendo's of the world would be. So yes, I think that's right. Microsoft is already basically called out as being on Epic's side of this. You saw them give testimony in respect to the Epic versus Apple case. Um, and so I think Microsoft is okay with this wall being broken down if that's what it takes. But I don't think that the way the Xbox operates is protected uh, if this does wind up swinging back around for Sony, Nintendo, and and Xbox, and anybody else that has these kinds of ecosystems, Meta, uh, and, and whatnot. So I think everybody's in the same boat, but Microsoft might be best able to survive whatever deluge might hit that boat with its current software as a, uh, as a service model. Timor says Google should, shoots themselves in the leg by having an option be open, but then disincentivizing everyone from using that option. The only Android platform with an alternative store that I know of is the Amazon Fire. Yes, I think that's the, the semi-open that I've described is the big problem for Google, is that they want to look like they're open, and then they entered into contracts that really disincentivized everybody from competing against them. And that tends to look worse under the law than Apple that just says, hey, we built it, we get to control it, which, as I've said in this space, was always going to be a problem argument for Epic because they built it and they do get to control it. That's always going to be allowed under the law. Leo says, I will say it like this. If you force open everything, you end up with Formula One versus Indy 500 type of scenario. And I prefer Formula One. Honestly, I don't know that metaphor enough to know the difference there. Uh, but uh, I, I do think you can wind up in a completely different market with completely different business models than exists right now. And that could be good for some folks like Epic. And it could be bad for other folks. And that that group that it could be good or bad for could be large on one side or the other. And it's very difficult for us to see. It's one of the reasons courts are reluctant to engage in kind of moving markets like this is because we don't know what the future holds on this. Miguel asks, Hogue, off topic, any thoughts on the completionist charity situation? Only that I've watched it from afar and everything I've seen in both sets of videos, the he's a fraud and I'm not a fraud videos, suggest that nobody is giving enough detail to really judge on these things. So that includes me, of course. I looked at the apology video. I didn't see much to judge on. I didn't see a lot of evidence one way or the other presented. I looked at the original videos. Uh, I didn't see a ton for me to judge on personally on these things. And I do think when you look at some of these issues, there's a lot of complicated accounting and backend stuff that we don't necessarily get to see. And of course, anytime you watch a video, whether it's mine or someone else's, they're selecting the information they want to talk about for a specific reason. And so I would caution anybody to judge anything too early, of course. But even with the apology out there, I wouldn't say that that's an exoneration. I wouldn't say that that's an admittance. I would just continue to follow that if you're interested in that particular topic as more information comes out. I don't think we're there yet. RexYZ says, glad to hear it. I love personal game of the year lists. I find them enjoy more enjoyable than the big awards, LOL. Yeah, I, I, I like them too. I like talking about the reasons why I enjoyed certain games more than others. Uh, and I do intend to do it, and I, I have my list ready. I know Tom is looking forward to doing it as well. So we, we plan on doing it next week. Absolutely, 100%. Hope to see you there. Rex says, yeah, I'll, I'll also bother you both about Path of the Midnight Sun there. Oh, yes, which I still haven't tried. I, I apologize. <laughs> Hello, Darkness, my old friend. Asks if we'll invite Ian Runkle to discuss Immortality 2. Honestly, Ian's already been bugging me in DMs about immortality jokes. So we'll see. I'm not sure he wants to be on our list of uh, games this year, but we'll see. I know he was a lot of fun. Leo says, Epic is an annoyance. I can't believe I'm defending Apple versus uh, Apple slash Google. Yeah, I think Epic, as I said in the Apple case, is a poor driver of justice on this. They tend to come off as self-righteous and they're not 
uh, unclean hands themselves in certain ways. So I, I don't think they're the greatest plaintiff on these cases, but they did have a significant win on this. And I did want to mention it. Samsung 2 drives me nuts. So many duplicated apps because Samsung wants to be special. Well, and, and that might be, right? One of the things you might see is that everybody has an app store and you don't know where to get the thing. You don't know where you had the license. You don't remember where you bought something from. I think that's already a, a little bit of a problem with the PC. I can remember whether I have something on Epic or Steam. Um, and we'll see whether or not that winds up happening with phones with a decision like this one. But I don't think it's going to crack open like Epic might think it will. We'll see. All right. Okay, and I, I want to make sure I grab any other comments and check the stars here. And I did want to check back in on that chat. It doesn't take that long. I just forgot to go back to it. So what should Bungie do based on the information we have? Bungie should focus on stabilizing their current situation and providing clarity to their employees. This could involve transparent communication about the company's direction and financial targets that need to be met to maintain their independence from Sony, et cetera, et cetera. So Hogue AI is pretty good at this. I do need to have a disclaimer added here that says none of this is legal advice, but you guys know that. We have the extra on these videos. None of this is legal advice. You can't start a lawyer-client relationship with an AI, even an AI version of me. So don't ask it your own personal legal questions, but it does have interesting things to say, and it is informed by the transcripts of the videos that I have done. So this is actually me. This is a, a chat version of me as memorized by the videos that I've talked about. So if you have questions that I don't get to in this context or otherwise, do check that out. I think it's a lot of fun. And I think it's a very, very cool thing that's happening in the world. And I am very much in favor of Podcast AI and the product that they've offered. So please do check them out as well, especially if you have a show of your own. But thank you so much to everybody for commenting today. Let's see if we have anything more that popped in before we go. Carolyn just says we welcome our AI overlord. No, no. Hoge AI does not wish to lord over anyone. Hoge AI is like one of you. Just another person out there talking about games and law. Uh, it's just having a lot of fun. Um, so no no overlords here. Um, and don't try to convince Hoge AI to create Skynet or anything like that. You know how it is. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for supporting the channel. Please do like, subscribe, hit all of Google's buttons. We love that on the channel. Google loves it even more than I do. As you can tell, Google loves a lot of things that maybe it shouldn't. But if one of those things is hitting the subscribe button, that's all right with me. So thank you, everybody, for being here today. And I will catch you on the next episode of Virtual Legality or Lawyers and Dragons or Two Hogs Are Better Than One or anything else we've got cooking in the next week. Thank you so much, everyone. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.